We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Luke shows Jesus to be the Savior and the Messiah. He is the one sent from the Father to be the Savior of the world. He's on his way to Jerusalem so he can die and rise again to pay for sin and to conquer death. Now, we've been seeing these last chapters Jesus' teaching. He's taught the crowd as a whole. He's taught the religious leaders. He's taught his disciples. He even taught the apostles. He has taught a number of things over these weeks that we've been looking at. He's taught about salvation and discipleship and stewardship and life after death and his second coming in the kingdom. And last week, as we looked at the beginning of the chapter, we saw that he taught about prayer and persistent prayer and the idea of just keep on praying because God is a God who answers prayers. Well, this morning, it is a subject that we're going to see that is vital. It's very important. And this is the, this is the thing. It's how can a person be right with God? We look at this passage, Jesus teaches these truths by giving a parable. You know, a parable is a story, and it's a parable about two men who went to the temple to pray. And we're going to see a contrast on how they approached God, and how they view themselves, and how they, what they think about being right with God. And that's a question for all of us. And you just say this, are you and I, are you right with God? Am I right with God? How can we be right with God? What does this mean? And as we study this passage, we'll see some great truths. So there's some things I think in here are very powerful. And, and there, it, it ties in with the message that as we go out these doors, it ties in with the message that we tell other people. Well, there are a number of theological terms that we as believers need to know and understand. Let me give you some of them. One of them is justification. There's another word, propitiation. There's a word, sanctification. A word, redemption. We have a study at, at Countryside we call the 2-2 study. Right now we're teaching it in CBI on, on Wednesday nights. But it is a study that takes us through some of these theological terms. And we go over each one of them and see how they fit together in the Word of God. Well, this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to just focus on one of the key words because it's found in the passage. It's the word justification. It, it uses the word justify at the end of, uh, middle of basically verse 14. He says, I tell you this, this man went to his house justified. And so we want to talk about the word justification or justified. To be justified, what does it mean? Simply put, it means to be declared righteous. It means to be declared right with God. So this raises the question, how can a person be made righteous or to be justified? How can a person be right with God? We know that every one of us in this room that we're sinners. We've fallen short of God's glory. We, we, even if we try hard, we can never measure up. We are not righteous. How can we be right with God. Well, this morning, as we look at this passage, two men go to the temple to pray. And from the passage, we're going to see how a person can be justified and right with God. May we learn from the teaching of our Savior Jesus. Well, let's begin. Remember, Jesus is near in Jerusalem. He'd been in the northern part of Israel. He's come south. When he comes into the city, which is going to be just in a couple of weeks as far as our study, it's in chapter 19. He comes into the city riding on a donkey, and he comes into Jerusalem, comes in through the eastern gate. And as he comes down the Mount of Olives, the People are all excited, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us, and they're shouting this out. This will be the last time that he offers himself as the king to the nation of Israel. Well, uh, I think there's some great things there. This, this, this passage, especially when he comes into the city, just a few days later, he's arrested and crucified and rises again. Well, this morning, uh, he talks about being justified. And I think there's some powerful things. Let me break down the passage for you. Let me show you what we've got. we got, first of all, Luke, 9, Luke 18, 9 through 14. It's just a few verses this morning, but there's so much there. The idea is being justified before God. We're going to see two men who went to pray. We're going to see one who was the Pharisee. Verses 9 and 10, two men went to pray. The Pharisees found in 11 and 12. The tax collectors found in verse 13. And then he ends up by talking about humility. Humility and exaltation and the idea of justification. Now, when you look at this passage, 
message, we immediately go, mm, Pharisee. We don't like Pharisees, right? We don't like Pharisees because Jesus didn't like them. We don't like them. But we also say, uh, I don't think I like a tax collector either. Do you like a tax collector? We don't. So we look at this passage. We don't, we don't like either one of them, but we're going to see what goes on and how it fits. We're also going to see what the person who lived at the time of Jesus, what they would have thought about these two people. We'll see how it works. Well, as we begin, uh, Jesus gives this parable, and his purpose is to show how to approach God and how a person can be declared righteous before God. He does this to teach certain people. Notice how verse 9 begins. And he also told he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So he's going to talk about some people that he's going to tell this story to some people who actually thought they were righteous. Now, there are certain people that he's talking with. And so the question is, who are the people that he's talking to? Well, the answer is we don't know. But let me tell you, at that time, there were certain people who thought they were righteous and that they were good. Now, you would probably say, well, probably the religious leaders, they were. If you talk to the Pharisees, if you talk to the Sadducees, if you talk to the Essenes, if you talk to those people and you said to them, do you think you are good? They would say, yes, I am. Yes, I, I try to keep the law. I, I keep all the law. I do everything I can do. I go by all the rules. I go by the Bible. I go by all the rules that are made up. I got everything. And so, yes, I'm righteous. If you ask a normal person, if you said, you see that man over there? And he would be a Pharisee. You say, see that Pharisee? Yes. Do you think he is a good person? And they would say, Yes, yes, we do. They, they, keep, they try to keep all the rules. So if you lived in that first century right there, you would look at this and you would say, a Pharisee was really a righteous person, at least so they thought. Now, we, we look at them and we go, they're bad because we know what they were really like and we saw how Jesus dealt with them. But we're going to see this. So he's talking to some people, it says, who trusted in themselves. Who could it be? Well, let me say this. There are many people that you come in contact with every day that actually think that they are good and they are righteous and that they've done enough things or they're doing enough things to get to God. There are a lot of people who think by going to church, getting baptized, living a good life, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, giving some money, being nice to people, by being better than other people, they think if I do these things somehow... I will be right before God and I'll get to be with Him. There are a lot of people that you come in contact. There may be some people in this room right now who actually think that for you to go to heaven, for you to be with God, is you live the best life you can live. You, you, you try to live a good life and maybe you'll get there. We'll see what He says because Jesus is talking to people who trust in themselves that they are righteous. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 9. And He also told this parable. To some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Now, he, he's got a parable. You know, a parable is a little story. And the point of a parable basically is to tell, uh, give an idea. So it's a story. And, and he, what he's trying to do is point out a truth. Now, it's amazing that usually when you hear a parable by Jesus, a parable by Jesus, you have to get to the end. And then you're hoping that somewhere in the past is Jesus is going to explain it. 
In these two parables, the one at the very beginning of chapter 18 and now the one in verse 9, he tells us beforehand what the purpose of the parable is. In chapter 18, verse 1, he told them a parable so that they, so that they would know that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. We saw this last week. The purpose of the parable was to remember to keep on praying. We're going to see that he tells us the purpose of this parable. He says he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they thought they were righteous. So he's telling this parable to for these people who think they are good in themselves. Well, look what it says. It says he had told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves, literally had confidence in themselves. There are people who believe that they have done things and are doing things that will merit God's salvation. Now, I trusted Jesus Christ when I was 19. But before I was 19 years old, before I heard the truth... I believed that if you did more good than bad, you would go to heaven. I believed by my goodness, my trying to be a good son, by going to school, doing what's right, obeying my teachers, obeying my parents, being a good person, obeying the law, doing all the things that I thought were right. I knew I did some things wrong, but as long as I did more good than bad, as long as I did these right things, I would be acceptable to God. That's what I actually thought. There may be some of you this morning that think by living a good life that you'll be right before God. He tells this parable to those who had confidence in themselves that they were righteous. Now, he goes on, look look at the last part of the verse, and viewed others with contempt. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were those who would say, I'm a lot better than those people over there. In fact, they even said some things. They'd call up Jesus' disciples and they'd say, Why is Jesus over there with those sinners? See, because they thought they were better than those people. So Jesus gives a parable to deal with that. Now, nobody can be right with God by ourselves. And there's not one thing we can do. It says people who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous, you can't be righteous by yourself. And so we want to raise two questions this morning, okay? Here's the first question. What must a person have to be right with God? And the second question that ties in, how can a person get God's righteousness? So what must a person have to be right with God? What are they going to have to have? What are they going to have to do? And then how can a person get God's righteousness? Now, he tells this parable to those who thought they were already right with God. So let's start with question number one. What must a person have to be right with God? Well, the answer is this. They must have God's righteousness. So I want you to understand that man's righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. That all the good that we ever try to do cannot measure up to anything. But in order to be with God and to stay with God and to have eternity with God, we have to be as righteous as God is. We have to have His righteousness. And so in order to do that, to say, if I'm going to spend all eternity with Jesus, I've got to have God's righteousness. Now the Bible talks about this in two ways. It uses two key terms. The first term is the word justification. Justification means to be declared righteous it is the act in which God says to a person, I now declare you to be right and righteous. All of us in this room want to be declared right and righteous with God. That's called justification. There's a second word that is a key word, and it's imputation. And this word means to be made righteous. It is an act that God actually gives his righteousness to anyone who believes. Now, I want you to understand that. That 
There's an aspect of being justified, justification, which means to be declared right before God. And there's imputation, which means to be made right before God. And if you're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, you have to be justified, declared right, and you have to have God's righteousness as imputation. You have to be as righteous as God. Now, you could say, okay, you've already told me that my righteousness, my goodness as a person doesn't measure up. How am I going to get God's righteousness? How am I going to be declared righteous? How am I going to get God's righteousness? That takes us to the second question. How can a person get God's righteousness? And the answer simply is by faith. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior... God not only declares them righteous, He makes them righteous. Every one of you in this room, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you say, oh yeah, I, I trusted Jesus, I believe He died on the cross for me, and He paid for my sins, and I've trusted in Him and Him alone to get me to heaven, the moment you trusted Him, God declared you to be right, and He actually gave you His righteousness. He made you right. On every one of our record books, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, it says, JB, perfectly righteous. Because God gave me His righteousness, which I must have. You too. Look at some verses. Look at these verses. Romans 4, 5. To him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. The moment you believe, God gives you his righteousness. Romans 3, 28 says, we maintain that a man is justified by faith. Romans 3, 26 basically says the same thing, that he justifies the believer. One of my favorite ones is Galatians 2, 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So you understand that to weigh, the only way that you're going to be with God is to be as righteous as He is, and the only way you can get that righteousness is by faith. Now, there are people who think they're going to get righteousness by living a good life. But the righteousness of man is filthy rags. You can never measure up. If you said, I'm going to live right for God, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to do the right things, I'm going to obey my mom and daddy, I'm going to obey my teachers, I'm going to obey the law, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to be a model citizen, I'm going to do all the right things, you can't get to heaven. Because you don't have the righteousness. The only righteousness that God demands is perfect righteousness and the only way you can get that righteousness is by faith and the moment you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior he gives you this righteousness that's called imputation and he declares you to be righteous that's called justification so when you believe in Jesus Christ he gives you his righteousness that's imputation second when you believe in Jesus Christ he declares you to be right that's called justification so what do you need? You need God's righteousness. How do you get it? You get it by faith. Now, with that background, let's look at the parable. Because Jesus is telling the parable to some people who thought they would be righteous in their own good works. 
And we know that you can't be righteous in your own good works. You get righteousness by faith. Well, let's see what happens. Two men go to pray. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, two men went to the temple to pray. They're going to meet God. Now, I want you to understand the temple. The temple was a big building that if you went into Jerusalem up on top of Mount Moriah or Mount Zion, there is the temple, the temple mount. And there was this huge wall going all the way around this thing. There was the eastern gate that you could come in. You could come in the eastern gate, big, beautiful gate. You could also go out the eastern gate. On the south side, there were all these steps going up. Here was the rule. wasn't wasn't God's rule. It was man's rule. If you entered by the south, you had to go all the way through the temple and go out through the north. You didn't go back out the same way you came in. If you came into the temple, there was a place called the Court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could come in there. As you went a little further, there was a place called the Court of Israel. Jewish people went there. There was a place called the Court of Women, and that's as far as women could go. And then there was another place you could go, and then you could get a little bit closer to the temple area which in which there was the altar where they offered the sacrifices and all of this. Two men went up into that temple to pray. It says one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Now, you go pray any time, but there were two main times they prayed. There was what they called the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. The morning sacrifice was at 9 a.m. in the morning, and the evening sacrifice was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So a lot of times people would go up at those times when they were offering specific sacrifices, and they would pray. Now, I want you to notice, it says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. Now, let's talk about these two people. Let's talk about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, when we say Pharisee, we go, we don't like them. Because Jesus didn't like them. Because they were religious people who thought they were better than anybody else. And they, but, but here, when you saw the tax the Pharisee actually, the Pharisee was this religious leader. And he was set apart. And he was going to keep the law. And he was, had all the rules. And he was very religious. And let me tell you something. He was respected by the people. Now, the tax collector. Uh, do you like tax collectors today? No, well, you wouldn't have liked them then either. Tax collectors were Jewish people usually that worked for the Roman government, and here's their job. The Romans said, you must collect so much taxes from each of these people. They said to them, if you get more than that, whatever you get above that, you get to keep. So if you were a tax collector and Rome said you had to get $10 from this person, you might go to that person and say, you owe Rome $15. So that you get the 15 you get to keep the 5 Rome gets to keep the 10 Rome didn't care how much you got from the people. They just wanted their amount. So the tax collectors were known as the people who kind of cheated the people and, and got more money. And that's how they got rich. And so if you would have said in the first century, who's the best guy going up to the temple? The Pharisee or the tax collector? We'd all say, Pharisee's the good guy. Tax collector's the bad guy. Watch what happens. How did the culture see these men? I want you to look at this. The Pharisee was respected, religious, special, and favored by God. How did the, how did the uh, culture see the tax collector? He's a traitor, and he's not favored by God. Well, let's look what happened. Let's start with the Pharisee, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, he stood. When you went into the temple, the Pharisees were famous for wanting people to see them. 
And so sometimes when they would go to pray, they would stand right out where everybody could see them. So they'd say, oh, yeah, he's really, he's really holy. He prays. In the temple area, there was a places that, they, that you gave your money. And they had these big, big pots. And they, went, they were real big at the bottom. And then when they got to the top, they went like this, little bitty. And you'd put money down in them. They were little bitty so people couldn't stick their hands down in there and steal the money. Sometimes when the Pharisees would come and get ready to give money, they had people who blew trumpets. People blow trumpets. Everybody would look, and the Pharisee would put their money in there. And everybody would go, wow, they're giving a lot of money. So they thought they were so special. They wanted people to see them. And look what he says. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Now, notice, this is the man that uh, uh, thinks that he's righteous, thinks that he's done enough. He considers himself okay. And look what he says. God, I thank you. Now, let's stop for a second. Because when you get ready to pray and you say, God, I thank you, we say things like this. Thank you for a great day. I thank you for letting me get up. I thank you for this. I thank you for the way you provided there. I thank you this. That's not what we say. This is not what he's going to say. He says, I thank you I'm me. I thank you I'm not like that guy. I thank you I'm better than people. That's what he's going to say. Notice what he does. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Swindlers and unjust and adulterers or even that old tax collector over there. See, he talks about himself five times. He uses the word I. I thank you. And I'm not like this. And I'm not this. And I do this. And I do this. He thinks he's better than others. Notice what he says. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, that's people who cheated. Unjust, that's people who weren't fair. Adulterers, he said, I've always kept the law and done what's right. Or even like this tax collector. He looked over in his special spot. He looked over to the side, and there's this guy over here like this. And he says, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. He's a tax collector. He's scum. He's nothing. He's a traitor. That's what he says. Now, if you remember at the verse 9, when it says that Jesus told this story to people who trusted in themselves and viewed others with contempt, that's what he does. He thinks he's better. He is trusting his righteousness. What must a man do to be right with God? Do good things? No. Righteousness comes by faith. Notice he begins to list his good things. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, he fasts twice a week. Under the Mosaic Law, there was only one required fast per year. It was on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month, Yom Kippur, and they were required to fast on that day. He says, oh, I'm a lot better than that, Lord. I'm not just doing the one fast a year. I do two times a week. And most Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And when they fasted, you knew that they fasted because their faces were all sad looking, and they're going like this, I'm very hungry. That's what they're doing. They wanted everybody to see it. That's why they did it. Remember what Jesus said? He says, when you fast, don't go around so everybody knows you're fasting. And when you pray, don't stand out front where everybody can see you pray. See, they're doing just the opposite of what Jesus said to do. Because they want people to think they're great. They think by doing their thing, they're fine. Notice what else he says. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, under the Mosaic Law, they were required, they were under a tithe system. Now, I want you to understand something. You're not under the Mosaic Law, and you're not under a tithe system. 
You may have heard all your life that you're supposed to give one-tenth of what you have to God. You're not under that system. In fact, that system was this. Under the Mosaic Law, you gave 10% every year to the priest. You gave another 10% every year to the tabernacle or the temple. And every third year, you gave another 10%, which was for the widows and the orphans and the priest. So every year, you gave 20%. Every third year, you gave 30%. You're not under that system. And you all go, oh, thank you that we're not under that system, right? Now, let me say this, though. If you gave 20% a year under law, what should you give under grace? Well, we won't talk anymore about that, but let's just go on, right? It says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. You know, everybody was supposed to give their tithes, but, but they didn't. And sometimes these guys were so religious that they would get a plant, and they would take part of the plant, a tenth of the plant, and take it down there. Now, we're not under that system. In fact, we're under what we call a free will offering system. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Let a person give as they purpose in their heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know what the Greek word for cheerful is? It's hilarious. That's the Greek word. We get hilarious from it. God loves a hilarious giver. Now, he says, I got it made. I'm not a cheat. I'm not, I'm fair. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like that tax collector over there. I, I do, I give my money away. I do, I do everything I'm supposed to do. And I, I fast twice a week. This man is exalting himself. He is trusting in himself. Now what must a person have? What righteousness must a person have to be right with God? He's got to have God's righteousness, not his own. Now let's look at the other man, the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now here's the contrast. The tax collector is standing some distance. See, he wasn't standing out front where everybody could see him. He's way over to the side. And notice he's not looking around going, I just thank you I'm not like all these people. He can't even raise his head up. He won't even raise his head, lift up his eyes to heaven. He is beating his breast. He is saying, listen, I'm not even worthy to even look at God. I'm not even worthy to get to talk to God. He says, uh, he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. He wants God's mercy. He's not coming and saying, God, aren't you glad I'm on your side? He's saying, God, I'm not even worthy. I'm coming to you. I want your grace and I want your mercy. Notice how he calls himself. He calls himself the sinner. He doesn't say a sinner. He doesn't say, have mercy, have merciful, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, be merciful to me, the sinner. He's saying, I'm a bad sinner. I'm the sinner. Now, he wants the mercy of God. He is not trusting in himself in any way, shape, or form. He's coming to God, and based on God's mercy and grace, he wants God's righteousness, not his own, because he doesn't have any righteousness. He, he wants God to be merciful. Now, I want to show you something. See the word where it says, God, be merciful to me? The word merciful is really special. It is a word that literally means be satisfied. He's saying, God, be satisfied in me. He is coming in humility. In fact, how can we approach God? He's wanting God's mercy. How can we approach God based on what we do 
are based on the grace and mercy of God. I want you to understand this man came to God, not based on his own righteousness or goodness like the Pharisee, but he came to God and said, Lord, please be satisfied. I come to you in humility. Now for us, how do we approach God? Do we come to God and say, I'm trying the best I can and this ought to be enough? Or do we come to God saying, there's not one thing I can ever do. Jesus did it all. He died on the cross. He paid for my sin. I believe in Him. I'm trusting in Him. It's all Him. Do we come to God saying, it's me? Or we come to God and say, it's Jesus and Him alone. I trust in Him. We see one man, the Pharisee, comes to God based on his goodness. In pride, he exalts himself. We see the other man. The tax collector comes to God in humility, looking for the grace and the mercy of God. He humbles himself. Now look at the outcome. Look what we see. Verse 14. I tell you. This is Jesus explaining. I tell you. This man went to his house justified rather than the other. Now, this man is the tax collector. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified. What does justified mean? It means to be declared right with God. It means to be declared righteous. This is the man that went to his house declared righteous rather than the other. Who's the other? The Pharisee. Why? Because one came to God saying, In your mercy and grace I come to you. The other one said, look at all that I've done. See, this man was justified and declared righteous. He got God's righteousness rather than the other. He goes on to explain, notice, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What a great truth. Everyone who exalts himself, go ahead and go back to the other one. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. If you come to God and say, I've done all these things, you know what he says? Sorry, you're filthy rags. Then add up, you don't have the righteousness. But everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You come to God and say, I have nothing to offer you except Jesus Christ. I trust in him and him alone. The provision you have made for me, I accept it. There's not one thing I can do. Anyone who comes to God trusting in themselves, in their goodness, will be humbled. They have man's righteousness, which is filthy rags. Anyone who comes to God in humility, trusting Jesus Christ, His grace and His mercy will be exalted. They have eternal life because justification comes by faith. Now, let me tell you something. Those listening to this parable, they'd be shocked. Because they thought the good guy was the Pharisee. And the bad guy was the tax collector. Jesus said, no, 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 you missed it. The one who has justification is the tax collector because he came in humility. The one who doesn't have it is the Pharisee because he comes in his own righteousness, which is filthy rags. How can a person be right before God? In humility, trusting in God's mercy based on Jesus Christ, how he died and rose again, gives us eternal life. We do not depend on ourselves, but on the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And when you believe in Jesus, you are declared righteous and you are made righteous. So look at your life. I know a lot of you. In fact, I know most of you. 
And I'd say to you, I, I hope and pray that most, the most of the ones that I know, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have been declared righteous, and you have been made righteous by faith in Christ. You are not approaching God on your goodness, but on what Jesus Christ has done. But I don't know everybody. There may be some people in this room who thinks by their own goodness, by what they do, try to live a good life, try to go to church, try to be a nice person, that somehow they're going to get to God. You can never get to God that way. Right where you're sitting, right now, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He died and rose again for you. He paid for your sins. God is offering you eternal life and righteousness simply by faith. And when you believe in Him, you are declared righteous and you are made righteous that exact moment. What have we seen? We've seen Jesus teaches a parable about two men. He shows that the one who trusted in himself was failure. That was the Pharisee. He exalted himself. The other is the tax collector who in humility humbled himself, trusted in God's mercy. And we see the tax collector is the one who was justified, declared right before God. Let me give you quickly some applications. First of all, understand truth concerning being right with God. We must know how a person can be right with God. Because let me tell you, when you go out these doors... In just a few minutes, you're going to come in contact with people all over this community, all over this campus, and there are people who think by being good they're going to heaven. They think that. You've got to be able to be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within you. You've got to understand the truths about being right, being right with God. A, man must have God's righteousness because man's righteousness is filthy rags. We have to be as good as God is. If you're going to spend eternity with God, you've got to be like God in that sense. We do not measure up. Man must have God's righteousness. B, God's righteousness comes by faith. It's that simple. You trust in Christ as your Savior. By faith, we are declared righteous. By faith, we are made righteous. Being declared righteous is justification. Being made righteous is imputation. That's two theological terms that you find in the Bible that you need to know. And so, C, in humility... Trust Christ so you can have God's righteousness. If you have never trusted Christ right now, trust Him. By the authority of the Scripture, the moment you believe in Jesus as your Savior, He not only declares you to be righteous, He gives you His righteousness so that you can have eternity with Him. And for all of us who are already righteous, when we go out these doors, you're going to see people every day that do not have a clue. They're still trying to be like that Pharisee who says, as long as I try to live a good life and I keep the rules and I do what's right, God will have to accept me. No, the righteousness of man is filthy rags. May we humble ourselves, trusting Christ as Savior, so that we can gain the righteousness of God by faith. And may we take that message to this community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for the great truth concerning about being right with you. And Lord, we know that every human being is falling short. We're not righteous. We must have your righteousness. Our righteousness is just filthy rags. Lord, thank you that your righteousness comes to us simply by faith. And the moment we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you declare us to be righteous and you actually make us righteous. Thank you, Lord. So I pray that, Lord, that if anyone in this room has never trusted Christ in humility today, they will trust in Him and Him alone and they will have eternal life and righteousness. And, Lord, I just pray that you'll use us as we go out these doors that we would tell people the good news message of how to be right with God, not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus Christ has done and our faith in him. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.